Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. You read maybe, you heard about maybe, over the last number of months, I assume you did, this idea that the Carmen's Group, among others, are interested in taking over the city's downtown entertainment venues. First Ontario Centre, which was Cops Coliseum, and First Ontario Concert Hall, which was Hamilton Place, and the Convention Centre. They want to privatize it, they want to fix it up, they want to run it. And presumably, hopefully, not only bring events here, bring more events here, brighten up, brighten up, um, excite up, is that a word? The downtown, the area, uh, but make a profit hopefully too. I mean, it's a business as well as it is a thing to try and make the city go. Uh, Scott Warren is one of the people involved in this. He used to be the general manager of Spectra, which was the group that ran Cops Coliseum, the entertainment there. He is now with the Carmen's Group. Scott, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Outstanding. Thank you so much. Uh, before we get into this, I do want to mention to people, you are also, in addition to being the, one of the guys involved in this, you are involved with the local baseball team, which is the Hamilton Cardinals, who won their first playoff series in 15 years yesterday with a yeah. two-out walk-off come-from-behind home run. That's pretty, If you're going to win one, you may as well do it that way. you got to get it's doing it in style for sure. It was outstanding. It was so exciting. Uh, the crowd went crazy and... Uh, we're looking to, to, to keep on going here in the next series with, uh, with Barry. Which starts? Uh, it starts on Thursday. Our first uh, game in Hamilton at Bernie Arbor will be on Friday night at 7.30. All right. So if people need something to do Friday at 7.30, I don't know if you are you willing to guarantee another two-out bottom of the ninth come-from-behind walk-off home run? No, because I expect to be ahead uh, well before that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Barry is the top team in the league, so that would be a that would be good if you did. But um, yeah, uh, that is so Friday, Friday evening. If people are interested, and a lot of people have never been up, so here's your chance. You've got a team that's uh, that's won a playoff series now for, as I say, first time in 15 years. Let's get to this though, because this is a um, this is a big story. It's been going on for a while now, but it has popped back up, and I'm not really well. I kind of know why it's popped back up. The city is looking at spending a couple hundred thousand dollars, they say, to assess their needs as far as where these venues are and what work needs to be done. But if you guys are saying that you're willing to come in and basically take the key and make things run and fix them up and operate them, is that $200,000 that we need to be spending as taxpayers? Well, you know, the, the reality is they're really kind of two separate uh, tracks, if you will. They, they sort of are going along in the same direction, but they're two separate tracks. One is the venue management piece that you that you talked about, uh, and that is still ongoing. That will be uh, uh, proposals submitted by both uh, Spectra, which currently runs the facilities, as well as uh, uh, our group. Um, we will both be putting in proposals to, uh, to, to handle the venue management for the facilities. So that's one track, and that's still, you know, that's still ongoing, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're still working through that. The second track, if you will, is really uh, more about the private development side and the next generation of these venues. Not only these venues. I mean, again, we, we're talking about the arena, talking about a new convention center. Um, what, you know, what do we do with the arena, uh, new convention center? But it's also a lot of mixed use. It's, it's condo development. It's residential. It's retail. Um, so there's a lot more to it than just the entertainment venues, if you will. But is your group, in the long term, are you interested in just managing these, or is are those two tracks inevitably parallel and eventually intersecting? Do you want to do this without having the opportunity to fix them up and develop, or is that all part of the same package? 
it's it's not part of the same but we, we we expect to do both or we certainly hope to do both um and uh and and i guess you could say that they may overlap because if we're running the venues and we're talking about uh, either a renovated arena for example or a new convention center i mean obviously kind of overlap in a sense um but we are uh, absolutely committed to, to at least getting the conversation started, which really happened today at GIC. Get that conversation going um, with our group uh, pledging uh, $250,000 toward a precinct study that will need to be done um, to really say, okay, what do we need to do with these venues? But not only that, what do we need to do? What, what are we looking to do? What's our group looking to do right now with, with uh, uh, you know, the, the downtown core separate from just these arenas. Again, we're talking residential, we're talking retail, et cetera. So it's much bigger than just uh, the facilities, um, but we certainly are hopeful that we will be rewarded the venue management agreement. Um, but uh, that is separate. And, and if, if we are successful there, either way, uh, we, even if we're not successful there, we still believe uh, in the next generation of these venues and in this, uh, this uh, private development uh, piece. And we're anxious to kind of get moving on that as well. So uh, they can be combined in terms of uh, uh, overlap, but um, they're really two separate tracks going in the same direction. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're chatting with Scott Warren, who is involved with the Carmen's Group, about the idea of refreshing the downtown or redoing the downtown entertainment venues, also having them manage Carmen's Group or someone else manage them. Uh, and Scott, if this was to happen, if the city were to say, okay, you know what, let's do this, uh, in both cases, and we talked about the two tracks, the management, but also the physical part of this, what is the, what are the time frames right now? If, if they were to say, go ahead, how, how quickly could you guys be in place to manage them and how quickly could you be ready to start doing something to upgrade them? Well, I think, um, from a venue management standpoint, it's my understanding that um, that we will get notification as to when proposals would be due from both us and Spectra um, from a venue management standpoint. You know, I'm not quite sure when that will be, you know, you know certainly after the election. Um, and it's my understanding that the city will make a determination of, of who will uh, be rewarded the venue management agreement um, in the first quarter of 19 with a July 1st start. So, so it will be about a couple months or three months in order to get everything in place. That's how long you would need to actually get it fired up. Well, I mean, we could actually do it much quicker. Okay, uh, we could certainly transition within thirty days. But that's but out of respect for the city's process and what they're what what they're looking to do, uh, they've said that they would like to make a decision in the first quarter. And uh, the existing uh, agreements have been extended six months, which would put it to a July first start uh, for uh, the new uh, management agreement. So. Uh, so that's what we would do from a venue management standpoint. Um, we're prepared uh, to get cracking on on this uh, precinct study uh, as soon as we, uh, you know, we'll be meeting with the city. Uh, I suspect um, to, as a result of the, the conversation that took place at GIC today, which was to uh, open this up not just to our group but anyone who was interested in sort of funding from the private sector, putting money into uh, a pot, if you will, to. Uh, to, to create this precinct study that, again, uh, you know, our group is willing to put a minimum of 250000 in, uh, no strings attached. That means that, means that, that this study, we believe, is essential uh, to moving things forward 
uh, in the next generation of these venues and the downtown core. So we we may put money into into the pot uh, and get the study done and not be awarded the uh, any sort of private development uh, bid, if you will, or proposal um, from from the city. Um, but that's okay. You know, it's not about that for us. It's 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 that it's an important conversation to have. We're ready to get going on it. And 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 once the city says okay, go in terms of this precinct study, we believe that you know it should it'll probably take around nine to twelve months for a precinct study to be uh, to be done and uh, um, and then be able to report back on what the findings are to see what direction we would then go in next. I, I hear you saying okay, and and the time frame that's an interesting time frame. But I hear you saying that well, you know, it's an it's an important conversation to have, and it doesn't really matter if it's us as long as it's someone. I. Forgive my slight skepticism. I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing that if they gave it to someone else after you guys put a quarter million bucks in, you're going to say, yippee, someone else got it. As long as it's done, I mean, y- you guys want this. Well, yeah, I understand. Well, it's, let, let's not make no mistake. We, we wouldn't be doing the yippee thing for sure. Um, but but it's, we're, we're not putting the money in to get something directly, if you will. Uh, what we're looking to do is, uh, you know, it, it would be easy. This is a huge project. This is a huge initiative, whether, you know, and talks about, you know, whether we're, we're renovating an arena, building a new arena, building a new convention center, uh, all this uh, mixed-use development. It's huge. And so, um, so we, but we believe that, you know, as a, because it's huge, it, it can be easily sort of pushed off because it's, it's so big to tackle. Mm. We're saying, no, no, we, we want the conversation to start. Let's go. And we're willing to put the money in because we believe in the city of Hamilton. We believe in this city. We love this city. And, um, and, and, and we also, at the end of the day, believe that when it is open and fully transparent and other people will be able to, 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 to bid on this development piece, um, we want to be at the table to put a bid in as well and go through the process and, and hopefully come out victorious on the other end. But there's no guarantee of that. Uh, the only thing we guarantee is that we, a study needs to be done and we're ready to get that ball rolling. You're in an interesting position. We only have a minute or so left here, but you're in an interesting position because you have worked in a private industry, but that deals very closely a lot of times with public sector stuff. You you sort of are walking on that line between the public and right. private. Does it drive you nuts? Because the mayor was on with Bill Kelly this morning and he was laying out the, you know, how it's going to be a protracted process and how it's going to take a lot of time to go through this. It's a public thing. You got to do it. Does it ever drive you a little nuts to have to deal with, and I'm not talking about Eisenberger or anyone else, just in general, sure. you're dealing general. with public sector stuff that seems to take yeah. forever a lot of time. Well, it certainly moves at a different pace. And but <laughs> at the same time... <laughs> yes, and, and it does. And, 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 you know, it's, it's not necessarily a criticism so, so much. It, look, the, 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 the councillors and the mayor have been elected to represent the city in the best way possible and represent the taxpayers and... And so if that takes a little bit longer to get it right, we respect that. Um, obviously, for us, you know, private sector, we can move a lot quicker. Um, but but, but they've, got a, they've got a job to do. They've got a role to play in the city, and, and they've been elected for a reason to, to, to make sure that they are looking out for the taxpayers. And so we respect that. We respect the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the pace, whether we would like it sooner or not, ultimately – we believe whatever the, however long it takes, it's going to be amazing for the city. It's going to be transformative for the city, and uh, we look forward to being part of it. 
Scott Warren, who is with the Carmen's Group, uh, you could probably stop by and say hi to Scott Friday night if you go to the Cardinals game semifinals yeah. against Barry. I'm sure you'll be there. Um, say hi to Scott. Cheer on the team. Probably don't pin him down on the venue discussion while he's watching a baseball <laughs> game. Might want to talk about other things. But anyway, we'll, we'll be doing this again, I'm sure, many times before a decision is made. Scott, thanks for the time tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the things that has concerned many people over the years as we have moved into a more and more and more technologically reliant society is the fear that we're being watched or tracked or monitored somehow, that our technology is doing things that we don't really want it to. We want our technology to work for us, not to be knowing everything necessarily about us. So to this end, and if you have an Android phone or if you have an iPhone, you probably know. If you don't, well, you can go look it up. But if you, many of you will know that your phone has a setting that allows you to turn off location tracking. I think the default position on iPhones, I, I could be wrong, but I believe the default position is that when you get your phone, that's on. And what it does is that would allow a bunch of different apps on your phone to know where you are. So if you're near a you know, it can do maps or it can do whatever else. Your phone will naturally know, unless you turn it off, where you are at any given time. But you can turn it off. And a lot of people have done that. They said, I don't want my phone to be following me. I don't want Google or Apple or anyone else to know where I am. So you turn off that tracking, location tracking thing and you go, okay, whew, now I'm off the grid. No one knows where I am. Well, not so fast. Because a new report that was done by the Associated Press and was verified by computer research, uh, computer science researchers at Princeton University have found even when you turn off location tracker, guess what? Google is still tracking your location. You aren't hiding. You aren't off the grid. You aren't off the map. Google still knows where you are. Google knows all. Is this right? Is this fair? Is this even allowed? Alan Mendelson is Canada's number one internet technology law expert. That's why we always love to have him on when we have a topic like this. He joins us now. Alan, thanks for doing this today. Uh, thank you very much. And after an introduction like that, uh, I hope I know what I'm talking about. Me, well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, every other time you've uh, you've known everything we've talked about before we even ask it. So, but this is this is exactly, I think, Alan. What when people have the vision of Big Brother and the fears about Big Brother, this is kind of exactly what they're thinking about, isn't it? That there is some monolithic, faceless company that is out there that knows everything about us, and we can't stop them from knowing it. Right. I, you know, I think that is certainly part of the fear. I mean, I, the the funny part in this case is that, one, uh, you know, they're not faceless at all. Everyone knows who Google is. And I, I think that's more that's part of the problem and part of the reaction to this report and this study, you know, I, I think is, is quite disturbing in that everyone is just so concerned. Well, I mean, we all assume, you know, Google follows this and reads our emails and does this and does that. But we all assume that Google gave us the proper controls to turn these things off if necessary. Um, And that does not seem to be the case. And I I think that's what's problematic more than anything. And we're all worried about the unnamed people watching us. But here we have a named 
person watching us. And I, I think that's what has sort of gotten everyone in a tizzy about this. Right. And even, well, okay, we do have the name. We know the company, but there's like a trillion people that work for Google and any right. number of them could access this. And the thing is, from what I'm reading in these follow-ups today, Google is not even trying to say, no, we're not doing this. They're not denying it. They're just not really saying anything. Right, ex- exactly. You know, the, the response seems to be from Google was that, well, you know, we knew we were doing this. You knew we were doing this. We have given you the tools to turn things off. Sort of. And, 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 and it, in fact, they are correct. And, you know, you know, in looking over some of the, you know, the, the research done on this this afternoon and how these settings work and so forth, the problem was is that there were two different sets of settings. And in this particular case, you could turn one set of settings off where people were used to turning their geolocation off for certain Google services, um, but that there was a second set of settings that people were less aware of, if not completely ignorant of, because we sort of expect that when we turn off settings for one thing, well, that should be enough. Um, so that I think that was uh, the issue as well. Yeah, it's almost like that it's a placebo button to turn it off. It doesn't, and this is this is the thing, Alan, is that there are people who are definitely computer savvy, who are very technologically advanced, and they can figure this out. But look, you've got Mary or John Joe Public who take on face value that when they hit the turn tracking off, they say, well, I'm not being followed. It almost seems like it's a little bit of trickery that, well, we're not really, but you can feel good about yourself that you are. It, it, you're right. There's two levels, but they didn't tell you the second level. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it really would take a, a, what we call a power user in the business, people who really know exactly. uh, every settings that are within the bowels of your phone uh, to be able to turn off that second setting. So, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I was reading one particular website, which is a tech website, and the people on that website who are very tech-savvy generally, you know, so many of them didn't even know about that second set of settings, and we're looking now at these explicit instructions to turn off that second set of settings. So, you know, I, I, that's certainly concerning to a lot of people. It's technically, it legally, I guess practically, down to the letter of the law, maybe they're accurate, but it's, it's, it's misleading to most people. Really, it is. Well, no, exactly. And I, I think that's the problem. I, you know, I, I think most of us, uh, you know, we have sort of accepted certain things in this technological society. And we've accepted that, um, you know, we can get certain services for free if we give up certain data, but we expect that we are going to able to have choices about that data. And the law does require us to have choices about that data. Canadian law, uh, we've all heard about the new European law that went into effect in July, the GDPR, that that you know, requires all sort of very specific ways for us to turn off these things. Um, so, you know, there are legal ramifications. And like I said, I mean, those things are there, but they've been obfuscated, you know, certain behind certain hidden screens, shall we say. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
Uh, we're talking with Alan Mendelson about internet privacy. Completely different topic uh, because we found out today that Google, despite the fact that they say you can turn off your tra- location tracker, is still keeping track of where we are. And I think a lot of people are kind of freaking out a little bit about this. And just before the break, Alan, I asked the question, if you download Google's app or on your computer, if you go to Google, it is a free bit of amazing technology. There's no question about it. The way Google can search the entire internet in about a billionth of a second, it's a remarkable bit of technology we can use for free. Is there legally and and ethically, when we agree to use their technology that we don't have to pay for, are we giving up any kind of right to privacy on that technology? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that everyone has the right to privacy. I mean, that is sort of a basic tenet of any number of laws, both, you know, Canadian, American and international, although American privacy law is pretty pathetic, to be honest with you, in comparison to some other places. Um, so, you know, everyone certainly and even if, you know, the specific rights to privacy in regards to Google's activity is, you know, not so well defined, I think the perception that people have and the perception that large, the largest tech companies of this era should have, including Google, including Facebook, et cetera, Twitter, you know, the big ones is that, well, we better be careful because the more people know about what we're doing with the data that we may or may not be collecting, but more often than not are collecting, the more people will be concerned, the more governments will be concerned, and the more governments will attempt to regulate those industries and crack down hard on those business models. So it, you know, it's in the best interests of these large corporate BMOs to react in a positive way and accept that they have made mistakes and that they come clean, so to speak, and say, look, we agree and this is not the way it should be done. Here's what we're going to do. And in this case, Google should say, We are now going to have a one-stop switch for turning location services on and off on your Android phone and on your iPhone, point final. And, you know, it's, it's the corporate responsibility that should be put forward and that's in their best interest in order that they don't have governments and the law coming down on them. I just wonder if a company like Google is so big that everybody in government, everybody in everywhere uses Google if, if it becomes so big that they feel and probably in reality can just say, whatever, you don't like us, go find something else. Go, go back to using Yahoo to search or go back to whatever you want to, like, if you don't want to use sure. us, that's fine. I, I, and then no one's going to be able to. So we all just say, well, I guess we just got to live with it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that's certainly possible and we are all used to using certain services um but we at a certain point in the internet's history we were all quite used to using myspace Mm -hmm. where is myspace now at a certain point in the internet's history we were all quite used to to use your example using yahoo as our search engine and google was nothing 
And there is no reason, I mean, no matter how large a company is, you know, and I, you can look at Facebook as an example, everyone will tell you that people under the age of 25 do not use Facebook. They use other social media instead to, you know, to communicate with each other and do certain things. So I'm not necessarily convinced that these companies are, you know, too big for their own good and, and that we cannot necessarily. Now, I say this as someone who is deep into the Google structure of the Internet. I like very much that when I do a Google search through my Chrome browser on my computer, that my Google Maps will remember that search on my iPhone and so forth and so forth. But I'm not necessarily convinced that there can't be somebody who does it equivalently well or better somewhere down the road. It just, what this tells me, what this whole thing tells me today is that if you truly want to be off the grid, if you truly, no matter what any company is going to tell us, no matter what anybody is, how the assurances are going to be, if you truly want to be off the grid and not followed by anyone and not have any data collected from yourself, you kind of have to just not have a smartphone and maybe not even be on a computer. And uh, I don't know if that means you have to go live in a cave somewhere in a sackcloth and ashes, but uh, you really have to go back to be about 1982 and just find a way to live without that stuff. Right. But, you know, like in the same way, you know, fine, Google knows my location. And let's say I was not using a smartphone. Let's say I was going back to an old classic clamshell phone (laughs) that had absolutely nothing on it. Uh, My uh, cell phone service provider knows where I am. You know, for the most part, even when that crappy little clamshell phone is off, uh, your Bell or your Rogers or Telus, whoever, I'm not singling anyone out, they would know where I am. So I, I, I'm not sure that it's really even possible anymore to think that way, unless, yes, you want to be a complete, uh, you know, hermit. Technologically, her- technological hermit. It is, uh, you know, so, you know, some people have accepted that fact and, and they don't really care. I heard this news today and I'm like, yeah, fine. What do I care? In all honesty. Yeah, no, and honesty. there are, we, we're out of time, sadly, but there are people who will feel like that. And there are other people who are a little more paranoid who say, I just don't know who's doing what with what information. And I just, I'm not comfortable with, uh, some guy in a back room at Google named Bob who can uh, access my entire life. Alan, I wish we could keep going. Love having you on every time. Alan Mendelson, the, uh, an internet lawyer um, from Montreal. Love having you on. Thanks for doing this again. My pleasure, Scott. Have a great evening. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys, owner and operator of that team. He's a, only runs ComChoice Realty in Dundas. He's the, I think he's the broker of record. Is that right? That's what they call it. That's what they call it. Uh, and uh, and a regular here. Every Monday he's here at this time. Thanks for coming in. Happy birthday. It's, it's, well, I figure that it's it, been so long it that you must a have year? had a birthday in the meantime. It seems yeah. like it's been a long time. Well, thank God nothing's happening, happened in sports of any relevance no. uh, in a month. No. And by the way, have you ever had the finger given to you on the road for something that you absolutely was not your fault? Surely it must have happened once or twice. I imagine so. I mean, I, I just couldn't uh, believe. I get the finger on a regular basis on the road in the office, on the <laughs> at ban- home, on the bench <laughs> at home. Yeah, 
No, I, 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 I was, I, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just naive. I was very surprised, A, that someone had enough ire built up at 745 on a Saturday morning up in cottage country, that someone could be that angry at that time of day up there where you're relaxing that you could be that mad, but B, that I really thought I didn't do anything wrong and yet, oh, well, here we go. So I just, you know. Gave the, I tried to be as passive aggressive as I could by giving the shoulder shrug like you're an idiot. And then halfway expected to be either cut off or have them pull a gun, but didn't happen. See, I that's was, the difference b- between you and I. You would have driven them off the road or you would have just slowed right down in the passing lane. I'd then. Have made them so annoyed that they'd have had <laughs> been looking for a third hand to give me another finger. You would have been like Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation at the start exactly. of it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you know what happened in that episode, though, when he did that? They ended up under a tree truck. Under that a was, logging truck. That was very cool. Before they jumped the tree and landed in the yes. middle of the field. Yeah, I didn't want any of those things to happen to no. me. Well, you're too nice a guy. Well, no, I'm I'm really preferring to make it up there alive. No, you're my too, preference. My you're preference. You're too is, nice a guy. Guys like me give the guy a finger back. I mean, what? Holy crap! You know, give it to him. You probably, you know, in in the Muskoka area, you probably could. If you do it in downtown Chicago, might be a different decision. Yeah. Well. We went to Buffalo on uh, Saturday. Um, Susan's lovely daughter Veronica's back, and we had to go down and pick some things up. And boy, it's you got to be careful down there. You don't give the like, finger no, you willy nilly down in no, some of those places. Don't. There, there are. Uh, you figure half of them got guns, and twenty five percent can find one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know what else was going on in the states? Here's the best segue I can do. First show back uh, on the weekend, Tiger Woods. No gun, but man, did he have some clubs that were on fire. It, it is amazing to me to watch that guy. I, I, I don't know about you. I never thought that we would be seeing Tiger Woods in competition, in contention at a major again. I never thought it would happen. No, but Scott, you've been around sports a long time. Those elite athletes, whether it's Gretzky or, or uh, Woods or Michael Jordan, they have a department that they can dig into the competitive spirit and the talent that they can bring it back. Now, he's been riddled with injuries over the last few years, uh, some of them above the shoulders, uh, self-inflicted. But, you know, his back injuries and everything else, I think that was the concern. But he hasn't been whining about, you know, I can't play because my back's sore. He hasn't complained or whined about any physical ailments. And he really had a point to prove. I didn't see the back nine, sadly. Didn't even see all the front nine, but he didn't hit a fairway. No. But and why the front I front nine, he's just that good. It can be that good. Why I thought he would never come back is I remember Wayne Gretzky in the last days of Wayne Gretzky. And he was, when Wayne Gretzky was in his last year in 1999 with the Rangers, he was okay. I mean, for the average guy, he was okay, but he wasn't Wayne Gretzky. And, and that, he, he had gone over the top of the hill, I mean, for a guy who'd been that good, and he couldn't get it back. It, once it's gone, it's gone. And he was just an okay player at that point. And Michael Jordan, when he went to the Washington Wizards, he was just okay. You and know, that's what I thought Tiger would be. I thought he'd be okay from here on. You know, and uh, it's an interesting analogy, and you're right about Gretzky, but he, he had to play an 80-game schedule. And assuredly, that in his final season, he was still doing things and capable of doing things that nobody else in the league could do. Occasionally. Right. But he couldn't do it over the long haul. He couldn't bring people out of the seats every night anymore. And Tagger hasn't been able to bring people out of their seats every 
golf tournament. He'd hit a shot here or a shot there, and you go, wow, look at that. That's amazing. But he did it Sunday. He shot but a he 64. put it all together. Yeah, he put it all together. And that's the part about it that just amazed me is because I think if you go through the list of almost every other athlete, the guy that comes to mind as the exception to the rule and his comeback was a little bit different, uh, George Foreman, when he came out of retirement. But he, that was a little bit different because there was just nobody in heavyweight boxing no, he, at that time that no, was he any fought good. somebody like you once. It was just, yeah, he fought Oliver McCall, I think, was one of the guys and a bunch. I mean, nonetheless, he's one guy that you said, okay, he found it again somehow, although even what it, in air quotes, it was, was debatable. But It wasn't his heyday, and the competition was down. The competition was And different. Gretzky and, and Woods both had to play against athletes that were better yep. than when they were in their heyday. L- look at the guys that are in contention in major tournaments now, and they're not the kind of guy. Sergio was supposed to be the next uh, Tiger. He was going to knock him off. Rory was. Those Speed. guys are still playing, but... Um, There's been a lot of guys who... The athletes been... nowadays are so well-tuned and they're so good. They're. I mean, there was probably 35 guys in the PGA Championship this weekend that legitimately could have won it. Yep. So, uh, so Woods is still playing against the elite guys. So was Gretzky. I mean, Gretzky played in an era, and I just... Um, he played in an era where physical conditioning was not top of mind. I mean, they didn't spend all summer in the gym. They weren't chiseled athletes. There was some chubby guys playing in the league. And at the end, there weren't any of those. Mm-hmm. So the competition was that much better, which really kind of showed in his play because the competition was better. Well, and there was much more structure. If Wayne Gretzky and the Oilers came along today, it would be, I don't know how we got onto Wayne Gretzky, but it would be very unique if Glenn Sather, who was coaching that team, basically said, here's a puck, go play. Do whatever you want. Yeah. It would Even with that talent, there's not a coach in the NHL that will simply say, I'll just stand here and tell you when to change the lines. You guys just go. The structure is so much higher. The Oilers were free-flowing and could do anything they wanted, and Gretzky could stay on for two minutes if he wanted to in a shift, and that would never happen. The whole game has changed, but it comes back to this idea of not only when Gretzky got over that hill and got to New York and became just an average player, he was not able, he could maybe for a shift or two do something or on a shift do something, but he couldn't become Wayne Gretzky again for a stretch of time. And all those players, any great athlete, once it goes, it goes. The fact that Tiger Woods, it was gone, and he has been able to climb back up, especially in a sport like golf that requires such obsession to get good at it, that you have to be... It's, not, it's a mental thing, too, that once your brain is out of it, it's kind of like the switch is turned off and it's like uh, you just can't I think he did get shut down for a couple of years, and I think he's got a point to prove, and he clearly has the ability still to dig deep and show the world that he can compete, obviously can compete and win again. Somebody's going to prove, somebody at some point is going to discover 25 years from now that the PGA Tour has promised Tiger Woods $10 million for every day, every tournament that he's in the final five groupings of. It's going to be a secret payout. And the reason is because when Tiger Woods is in one of those last few groups, the ratings go crazy. The ratings for the, did you see what the ratings were at the British Open a few weeks ago yeah, when he was ahead? So huge. It was up 167% over last year. 
167 worldwide or North America. Uh, that was North American. That was North American audience. But that's the, the PGA one that will be the same thing. It'll be. It may be bigger. So then, when Tiger Woods says to the folks that run the Canadian Open that's going to be played in Ancaster next year, "You give me two million bucks, I'll show up." I'd give them. I'd give them five. Yeah. I'd give them five because Don, if you, if Tiger Woods announced, I was talking to Bill Kelly about this this morning. If Tiger Woods announced tomorrow that he was coming to the Canadian Open and he was locked in. By Friday, every single ticket would be sold out. There would not be a ticket. Yeah. Le- and Phil Mickelson could say, I'm coming. Right now, he wouldn't move the needle. People say, oh, well, okay, that's nice. That's and good. Rory yeah. McIlroy, Justin Spieth, D- Justin Johnson will be here because uh, he's an RBC golfer and it's sponsored by RBC. None of those guys would make that happen. If Tiger Woods announced it tomorrow, everything would be sold out. All the luxury suites, all the VIP boxes, Every single thing at the Canadian Open would be sold out by Friday. Uh, I agree. And I also agree that if they could have done that before they started selling them, they'd get more money for all of them. Oh, yeah. Ticket prices would be up. Suites would be up. Everything would be up. I I don't even know, but I'd be, I, I don't think they do. But boy, that should be something the PGA should be thinking about down the road. That we have a price and we have a tiger price. <clears throat> and you and if and if Tiger Woods makes it to the makes the cut, you're paying us an extra ten percent on the cost or whatever it is. I, I I don't know if people would go for that, but I can guarantee they it, wouldn't complain. Tiger Woods has got it figured out already, and he's already charging a premium for the tournaments he plays in. I would bet my last buck that if you want him in a tournament, it's going to cost you a million bucks for him to show up, even the ones he says he's coming to anyway. And whether that goes to his pocket or whether it goes to a foundation for Tiger Woods or whatever, and, and, you know, I mean, that's fine. Fergie Jenkins makes tons of appearances all over the place. And oftentimes, uh, I don't know if there's a, if he charges to come, but he'll have a stand where you can get an autographed baseball or something. And you pay for that autographed baseball. And I, the first time I saw it, I went, oh, that's kind of smarmy that Fergie's charging for baseball. And then I learned that every dollar he's getting off those baseballs is going to his foundation. And then I say, well, I got no problem with that. No, that makes him a hero. I have no problem with that. And so if Tiger Woods charge, if Tiger Woods says it's 5 million bucks for me to come to your tournament and that money is going into my charitable foundation, fine, bring it on. I got, I have no problem with that. I think think his foundation is still Tiger Woods right now. Well, maybe. And and that part, you know, he's still in the position where he could. It's a business. At the same time, a guy who I, I'm sure Tiger Woods has made a billion dollars by now between endorsements and everything else. I'm, I'm he's not you know, broke. He's he's not he's not eating macaroni and cheese every night because he has to. Maybe he likes it. I don't know, but he's not doing it because he has to. Um, but he can he can single. There's no one else, maybe in any sport right now, that could make or break an event. Probably doesn't move the dial. Nobody else moves the dial like him. I, I mean. Look at a recent one that we had here in Canada with the Johnny Manziel going to play for the Alouettes and everyone thought that's going to be ins- that's going to be crazy the numbers are going to be outrageous. They went up 13% on TV. They went up, there's no question. I mean that he had an impact but not 167%, not where people who would never even think to watch go, "Oh, well, I better tune in for that." I'm not sure they're going up next week. You mean for Manziel? Yeah. No, but but if Tiger is in a tournament, and I don't know if every tournament, it, this was a major, 
But if but if Tiger Woods is leading on Sunday in any event, you will see a significant increase in. And you know who it's got to stink for? It's a positive and negative. Brooks Kepka, who was the guy who won this thing, nobody gave a crap that he won the PGA Championship. In fact, if you watch the galleries, there were about seven people following the guy who was leading the tournament around, and there's a million following Tiger Woods. In fairness to Johnny Manziel, Johnny Manziel's never been Tiger Woods. No. Right? Like, he's never been to the pinnacle. He's well, nobody. Th- how many people have? There's there's probably five living people who have ever, who could understand somewhat Tiger Woods' well, situation. And, and, and two of them might be golfers. Nicholas and Palmer. Yeah. Well, Palmer's dead, but Jack Nicholas. Well, uh, we're talking about what they did and yeah. what they could do. But Michael Jordan could understand. Michael Jordan. Wayne Gretzky, Wayne to Gretzky. a degree, could understand. Uh, there's probably a couple soccer players. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi could probably understand. Maybe Pele. Yep. Oh, Pele for sure. But you're talking single digits of people who are alive on the planet who could understand yeah. what it's like to be Tiger Woods. Not many no. athletes. And there's probably some, I mean, I'm sure there's some actors. I'm sure George Clooney or someone would have a similar story. But it, it is a... Um, <laughs> At my house. Yeah, it is. Well, no, but it's a remarkable, weird, unique life that he has. And when he's involved, it is it is a different world. And I just I just never, ever, ever thought that we would see this again. And it's interesting because I'm sure at the when he was at the pinnacle of his career, when the red shirt and the black slacks walked onto the tee for the for the Sunday afternoon uh, coronation. There were people getting sick and tired of watching Tiger Woods oh, yeah. and cheering against him, and a lot of those people now are cheering for him. You know who else is cheering for him? The other players. And not because they want to lose to Tiger Woods. Yeah. but The better they, he is, the better they things are. When he was away for that period of time and ratings started to drop off and interest started to drop and attendance started to drop, they start to realize... I live in a nicer house, drive a nicer car with a bigger bank account when Tiger Woods is in this because the prize money goes up, the attendance goes up, the ratings go up. And again, there's no one who can do, no one else who can do that. Saw a video, uh, VHS, <laughs> uh, years ago, and it refer, and the, the guy that passed away last week is Dan Makita. Mm-hmm. So they interviewed Makita and a whole bunch of great NHL hockey players. And they asked him if uh, he missed playing with Bobby Hall when he left Chicago. He said, I get up every morning and then bow in the direction I think Bobby Hall is because when he went to Winnipeg, he made all of us a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So Bobby Hall had that impact on hockey salaries when he was the first ever million-dollar athlete because he got paid a million bucks to go to the WHA. He had that impact. So to support your story, Stan Makita, an old buddy, said – he made us all a lot of money. The golfers are thinking the same way, as you pointed out. And when Brooks Kepka is a grandfather down the road and is talking to his grandkids and showing them the trophy that he won, what do you think is going to make, presumably his grandkids would know something about golf by this point because grandpa was a yeah. pro golf. When he says, I beat Tiger Woods to win this trophy, is that going to be cooler or is the Masters green jacket going to be cooler that he beat whoever that for, no one's ever code. heard of, yeah. they, they're good. You beat Tiger Woods. 
You, that's what the you beat Tiger Woods. That trophy because he beat Tiger Woods is worth so much more. Not necessarily money wise. I don't know what the payday was, relatively speaking, but emotionally, psychologically, cool wise, status wise, that trophy is worth so much more because he beat Tiger Woods for that. The um, the trophies are worth a lot more when you beat him, and when you win that PGA Championship, the endorsements are where all the money is, right? Right. The kid, the kids won two now, three major three. tournaments. Yeah, two this year. And um, but he beat Tiger once. And the, the other endor- two, the endorsements, the other two were okay. Tiger, yeah. Brooks Kepka was a good player. People took notice of him because he won two majors. But this time he beat Tiger Woods, held off yeah. Tiger Woods. This one, it, it's it's a big deal. It's it's like if you're a boxer back in the day, if Buster Douglas had beaten everybody else and lost to Mike Tyson, would anybody know who Buster Douglas was? You had to beat the guy who was the guy. You beat the guy. And once you beat him, then you are relevant. And you can't, it's not to the point now where you, you're saying, yeah, but uh, Tiger Woods was 51 years old. He's on his way back. But he finished second. Didn't matter if yeah. he was 51 or 92. He finished second. He was second of the whole yeah. world of the best golfers in the world. And he was playing really, really well. And, and had he, the best day of all of them. And you beat Tiger Woods. That's yeah. He's going to love that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Don, the Rogers Cup tennis tournament was on this week in Montreal and in Toronto. They do it simultaneously now, the men in one, the women in the other. And it was an interesting story that came from uh, Pat Hickey of the Montreal Gazette. Usually writes hockey, but he was writing this today. And he was pointing out that there was a huge disparity in the prize money given out to men or given out to women in the Rogers Cup. That the men, the man who won, turned out to be uh, Rafael Nadal, collected $1,020,425. Simona Halep, the women's winner, won $529,480. She won a little over half of what the men's champion won. And there are people who are very disgruntled about this and say this is inappropriate and this is wrong and on and on. Now, the explanations that were offered to Pat Hickey of why this is, some will call them excuses, some will call them explanations, are uh, really, they're twofold. One is that because of ratings, the TV money is much, much higher for the men's event, for whatever reason that is, but uh, it's all based on ratings. That's one thing. So there's more money coming in. And the second part is that because this is a mandatory event, for the ATP Masters 1000, which is the men's tour, while for the women's event, it's a voluntary thing. You can come or you can not come, but because we're making the guys come, we have to be able to pay them more. So I got thinking about this and I thought, should it automatically always be equal when you're having prize money for events? Or should it be, should the pay, should the prize money be subject to market forces? If more people want to watch one, they should get more money, and if you get your ratings up to that level, then we'll pay you the same. How, how do you see this? Hmm. That's a sucker bet. Um, well, there's a, there's a, a pro women's hockey league in the U.S. and Canada. Um, the ladies don't make near the money that the men do. And I think we have to understand, I think that people need to understand, that both are a business. 
and the ladies' tennis. I don't think it's just the Rogers Cup that has that disparity. Um, but you can recognize that I don't follow men's and women's tennis the way some people do. But I would imagine that it's pretty universal that that's the case. It's the same case in the PGA tournaments. Uh, the Women's Canadian Open doesn't offer near the prize money that the men's does, and it's a business. And I've always said in sports, when you're ever wondering why something's going on that you find interesting like Pat Hickey did, it's the money. And if you're not sure, go back to the money. <clears throat> so if the crowds and sponsorship and TV ratings are substantially higher for men, then it makes sense that the men are going to demand to be paid more money. The tricky part about this one is that normally, under most circumstances, even though many people have over the years demanded equal pay across the board for men's and women's tennis, I've not necessarily subscribed to that view. And the reason is because in many events, go to Wimbledon or for whatever reason, the majors in tennis, the men play best three out of five sets and the women play best two out of three sets. I don't believe for a second that the women are incapable of playing three out of five. I don't believe they're delicate flowers that couldn't play five sets. For whatever reason, that is the way tennis has stayed. And and if you're going to make someone work longer and do more, I'm of the opinion they should get paid more. And I'm of the opinion equally that if tennis changes and says, no, the women are now going to play three out of five sets as well as the men, then the prize money should be even in those major events. This one is a different one, though, and I, I, I'm with you in the sense that if you can show me that the revenues that are being generated by one of these is significantly different than the other one, I don't have a problem with it. I, people will say that's sexist. I just don't have a problem with it because... Look, the reason why LeBron James is going to be making $40 million a year just on the court, leaving aside the endorsements next year, is because people want to pay to see him play. He moves the needle, and we were just talking about Tiger Woods. These are people that people take the money out of their wallets and pay to see. We don't have, in the NBA, we don't say all players should be paid equally. There are different pay for different they say each levels. team can pay $80 million. I don't know the number. But you year. divide it up based on You who... sort it out. And if you want to give one guy $70 million and you want to give nine other guys a million apiece, then that's okay. One of the things I would look at or wonder about, ponder a thought, might be that um, if ten- Tennis Canada said to the title sponsor, Rogers, we need to pay the women the same as men, then as a business, Roger would say, then we're only going to sponsor the men's tournament as a business. Might be. You need a sponsor. And and we agree that the women's purse should be the same as the men's purse. I'm just not on for it. And I think they sell them as a package. Yeah, and and by the way, my point about the three out of five and two out of three, just in case anyone's wondering. That's a third, by the way, not half. But Not in double. this, the Rogers tournament, they both play best two out of three sets. So that that's why I said it was trickier because in this tournament, unlike some others, the men are not playing more sets than the women are. Yeah, but they're only paying a third more. I know, I know. But I, in general, I'm saying in those tournaments where the guys are being for, are being told you're playing best three out of five and the women are playing two out of three, I have no issue with the men being paid more because they are playing more. 
But when it's 50-50, this is why this becomes a real interesting one because they're playing the same amount here. Same that the 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 set the the matches are the same I, I theoretical length. Th- there's two things uh, I would comment on. One is I'm not convinced that they have to pay the men more because it it it's uh, almost a mandatory event. You would almost think it was mandatory they could get away with paying less to attract them, and right because you got to be there. It's like FedEx points in yep. golf. Yep. All the events don't contribute to the FedEx Cup. So why would you have to pay them more to come? Because they got to come anyway. That's true. We've seen, though, in some years where guys will show up for this event and will miraculously have the worst match of their life. They'll basically throw the match just to be done and get out of there on opening round just because they want a week off. So you're the sports columnist. You, you, you riddle me this. Do less of the more uh, predominant superstars go to the Roger Cup because of the disparity in pay? Like, meaning, do a number of the top women not attend because of the prize money? Good question. I, I mean, if you, if you made the Rogers Cup, instead of making it a $529,000 first prize, if you made it a $5 million first prize. Who's coming that didn't come? Anybody? Like, if the women don't like it, I would suggest they won't come. Yeah, and I don't know, with tennis, like all sports now, with athletes making so much money, yeah. how much do you actually have, where do you have to set the line that it would get their attention? Is $5 million, for men or for women, is $5 million a number that they will go, huh, all right, I'm interested in playing for that, or do they say, I make $5 million on my watch sponsorship, I need the week off, I'm going to take the week off. You always hear cancellations the day before it starts. Are they bailing because of the money or are they just bailing? Because they, they all do it. They, they, uh, it's a long, look, their, their season is a long season. Yep. They, they have a, they, but I it's mean, on the schedule. When you enter yep. and they bail out on a Wednesday night, I'm guessing two months ago they said, I'm not, I'm not going to Montreal this year. When it's back in Toronto, I'll come or whatever the reason would be. Whatever the reason. But, but they, but that, but, but that, that that decision is made long before the Maybe. announcement that they're Maybe. not coming. Or they may just, after the last couple of weeks, say, I'm just done. I'm just fatigued. Yeah. I need a week off, and so I'm just going to, I just can't I, do it. And I'll, I'll say I've got a sore hamstring or I I'd be really ankle. interested to see how many of the top women in the world don't come because you can only win 500000 bucks. And again, I don't know what the top prize money is in the women's tour. I don't, I, I, I follow it like I do... Um, Gordon Lightfoot's new releases. I mean, I'm not on top of that game, but I don't know who doesn't come because of the difference. Gordon Lightfoot has new releases. All right. Uh, no, I, you know, I look. It, it's a it, to me, this is a really tricky one on its face. But then, if you dig into it, I don't know that it's sexist to say that equal is not necessarily required. And the reason being, if everything was equal. If, if, if at your real estate office, you have a man and a woman doing the same job, they should be paid equally. And they are, because that's the kind of guy I am. Okay, but, but that's, so that's the way it should be. But now, let's say you have a real estate agent, and it doesn't matter if it's male or female. Let's say you have an agent who is selling five times the number of homes as the other one. Should they not make more money? They do. They make five times more. I, I understand because you're on commission, but I'm just saying, let, let's say it wasn't a commission business. Let's say you were being paid a salary and the one person was driving the bus and the other person was doing nothing. Male, female, doesn't yep. matter. That person 
deserves more money than the person who's not doing much. Let's go back to my analogy. It's always about the money. It's always about if the money. If somebody's generating the company more money, they're going to get more perks and be treated differently. And so you can make the case- When it's not straight commission. No, but you can make the case, well, look, you know, Serena Williams is a huge star. How can Serena Williams be held back? She drives the bus. She makes all kinds of money for women's tennis. Yes, she does. Absolutely, she does. You tell me, though, and I'm not trying to take anything away from this woman, uh, you tell me how many people would be walking along the main street in Hamilton. If you saw Serena Williams, most people would go, holy jumping, that's Serena Williams. If you saw Simona Halep, most people would say nothing because they wouldn't have any idea that that person is anybody. She was at Copetown Woods today playing golf. I didn't know who she was. Was she? No. Okay. Uh, well, you know, maybe I brought up a topic that just I happened to stumble onto something. <laughs> um, look, it, it is, if the men's tour, if, and I don't, I'm only going by this story because I, I haven't studied it, but if the men's tour is bringing in massively more in revenue, I don't have a problem. It's it, with do, it. do you think it's not? Do you think that? I don't know. I don't know if it is, but I'm I going know, by this story with it saying that it is so, higher revenue. So let me ask you this. Do you think if both tournaments generate the same amount of revenue through television, advertising, sponsorship, ticket sales, that the sponsors are skinning? Would they would be skinning the women's tour because they don't have to pay them as much? I don't know the answer to that question. My answer to it would be if that is the scenario, I would hope and expect and demand as much as I could that the women would be paid equally. That's what my expectation would be. The WNBA players don't get paid as much as the NBA players because there's not as many people watching, not as many people buying tickets, not as many people tuning into their TVs, not as many people buying jerseys, not as many people buying beer at the games. It's all about the money. On and on and yeah. on. There's a reason, and I haven't heard anybody yet. This is the part about this. I haven't heard anybody yet claim that WNBA players should be paid the same as NBA players because they are both basketball players playing professionally. Same with, as your example, the, uh, the, uh, the pro hockey players. Here, if you can show me that the men's tour is bringing in way more revenue and the men are of more interest to watch, then I'm not having a problem. Call, I, I won't call it sexist. If they are not, if this is pretty equal and you're paying the men double, then yeah, I don't have a problem with attaching the sexist label to it. I would bet you, but I don't know, obviously, that if you look at the numbers, um, that proportionally the the purses at both events are proportionate to revenue generated. And I'm sure that there are some events where proportionately there is more prize money paid out than income taken in on some tennis tournaments and golf tournaments. Could well be. But, But I would bet you that if you could get the analytics on the numbers and the true numbers and everything else, that is probably pretty proportionate. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.